So what are we talking about today? The joyous subject of depression. <laughs> Isn't that great? Um, and as the first caveat in a long line of caveats, um, I am not the normal preacher, and I see a few new faces, so if today is a total disaster for you, please attend again, because it gets better. I promise Pastor Kevin and Pastor Drew are phenomenal preachers, and you won't have to put up with me. Um, but like I said, before we get started, I have some warnings. Um, I am not a doctor. I am definitely not your doctor. I failed out of college. They gave me a letter that said, don't come back. Don't take anything I say to be medical advice, to be smart people advice, to be anything. If you have a doctor, listen to your doctor. Depression isn't something to mess around with. Medicines are not something to mess around with. Nothing I'm saying today is going to be misconstrued to say, all you need is your Bible, get off your meds. Are we all good there? Do we understand? Okay, second condition of me teaching today. Medical conditions are real. I personally have had a lot of concussions. I have to deal with the consequences of that. Some people uh, have struggled with drugs and alcohol and have repented from their sin and have to deal with the consequences of that. There's a variety of things, right? Medical conditions are real. Nothing I'm saying today is going to be misconstrued as, well, Joe says that the Bible's true and thus everything else is false and so I don't need to do X, Y, Z. Um, like there's caveats, right? Like don't just take drugs to take drugs, but go back to the first point. I'm not a doctor. Nothing I can say is medical advice. Please don't listen to me. I failed out of college. Are we good? All right. This is important to me. All right. But like I said, I don't have a funny story because this is depression. This is a serious and weighty matter. So first off, what is depression? Um, one of the things that we talk about a lot is like, I'm just really sad. I'm really bummed out. Is that depression? It can be. It can be a part of that, right? But depression is something more. So like, let's talk about from the start, like a worldly perspective, just so we can kind of give some definitions to this. Uh, Merriam-Webster, like total dictionary definition. Depression is a mood disorder marked especially by sadness, inactivity, difficulty in thinking and concentration, a significant increase or decrease in appetite and time spent sleeping, feelings of dejection, hopelessness, and sometimes suicidal tendencies. The DSM-4, uh, there's a whole bunch of versions. DSM is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. It's like what psychiatrists go to to say like, hey, what's going on here? Um, it defines depression as being characterized by five or more of the following. A depressed mood most of the day, markedly diminished interest or pleasure in almost all activities, significant weight loss or weight gain, insomnia, hypersomnia, psychomotor agitation or retardation, basically like how your mind affects your physical actions, um, fatigue or loss of energy, feelings of worthlessness or excessive inappropriate guilt, diminished ability to think or concentrate, indecisiveness, recurrent thoughts of death, suicidal ideation without a specific plan. Um, the thing about the DSM, keep in mind, this isn't the Bible. This is like the worldly perspective of how to diagnose mental disorders. Their primary presupposition is that there isn't, a, like, it's not that there's a God, it's that we have to figure out all these things. There's a reason why there's multiple editions. They are constantly revising what they think of this. But it's helpful for us to start when we think about this, right? It's helpful to start with these definitions. Um, and when we see this stuff, we might think, like, 
depression is just being sad, right? But there's a distinction. Proverbs 18, 14, a man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. Um, sadness is part of depression, but there's a depth and a continuance that depression has that goes far beyond a simple sadness, right? Like, um, when did I run over the electric cord? That was months ago, right? Yeah, so I'm mowing my yard. There's an electric cord going between the goat fence and uh, the outlet, and I, I see it, but like, you know, the grass is getting tall, so I'm kind of edging up to it. I like want to get close because I'm too lazy to actually move it, and then I was sad. That was my last extension cord. It was probably my best one. It had a grounding plug. It hadn't been replaced yet. I was actually sad that I lost my electric cord. I had to go buy another one. I was not depressed. I'm not like going back and I'm eating my cheeseburger afterwards and I'm like, oh, this cheeseburger has no flavor. I lost my electric cord, right? Like there's a difference between being sad and depression. Being sad, we have to remember, is a normal human emotion. Um, it usually has a momentary trigger, but it's not usually going to persist, right? It stays isolated to the thing that uh, you actually became sad about. Depression is different. Depression injects itself into everything else. It persists long after whatever triggered it happened. Depression is something that paints your whole world. Um, and you might not even be able to remember what triggered it. You feel like you're drowning, and it's not just drowning, but it's I'm so far from the surface that even if somebody noticed me, they wouldn't get to me in time. Why bother even swimming up? You see the light, but it's dim. It's a dot instead of filling the whole surface. This is a weighty subject. Do we see depression in the Bible? I'd argue we do. I think if you guys thought about it enough, you guys could think of some examples of people who would exhibit this and we would say seem to be depressed in the Bible. Psalm 134, uh, 143, 4, Therefore my spirit faints within me, my heart within me is appalled. Psalm 143, 7, Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Spirit faints. Spirit fails. You lose your desire and ability to press forward. Oh, man, that's stuck there. Sorry. <laughs> you lose your ability to keep moving on. Numbers 11, 14, 15. I'm not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, O Lord, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, just kill me. Moses couldn't endure the protests. He's already been through so much. He's leading the people out of Egypt, and they constantly complain, and he was not a confident person to begin with. Just kill me, Lord, if you have any sort of comfort for me. 1 Kings 19.4, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, he being Elijah, um, and he asked that he might die, saying, Is it enough now, O Lord? Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. And this is after a great work. Elijah had just gone, and he had protested the prophets of Baal. There's this big confrontation where he proved that the one God is the Lord Yahweh. But he's exhausted. And he goes, and he sits, and just kill me, Lord. Ruth 1-2, uh, 1-12, I'm sorry. Turn back, my daughters, 
go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons. Naomi isn't saying this because she wants to be away from Ruth. Naomi isn't saying this because she wants some alone time so she can play Xbox. Naomi is saying this because she lost her husband and her sons and she has no inheritance because she's a woman in a culture that does not allow women to persist on their own. Naomi is saying, not only do I have, not have a present, I don't have a future. Please leave so I don't drag you down with me. We see depression in the Bible, don't we? Can we agree on that? There's some sad stuff that happens in the Bible. So, depression's in the Bible. That's cheerful. Um, but just because we see stuff in the Bible, can we agree that doesn't mean, like, it's okay? Like, murder's in the Bible. Like, some things are prescriptive, like, hey, go do this, or don't do this. And some things are descriptive, like, hey, this is just an event that happened. Um, when one of the tribes of Israel, whose name I can't remember, um, lost all their wives, like, they went and kidnapped a bunch. Is that what I should be encouraging the youth to do when they're thinking of relationships? I'm troubled by how many people didn't, like, think that was absurd. <laughs> no, but, like, there's things that are prescriptive and there's things that are descriptive. Just because we see depression in the Bible doesn't make it okay, doesn't make um, it be something you should do or be okay with. So we need to actually find what the Bible says about this. First off, can a Christian be sad? Are you sure? I mean, I'd agree with you. I just want to say... Um, of course they can. We see this in the Bible in a bunch of places, right? We see this when David loses his first son, born of Bathsheba, 2 Samuel 12, 23. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. While David's child was alive, he knew that child would die as a result of his sin. The knowledge of the outcome that was inevitable, that was promised by God, brought him great sadness, right? Jesus. Was Jesus ever sad? Yeah, right? John eleven thirty two through 35. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brothers would not be dead. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Jesus wept. He was sad. He was grieved over the loss of somebody, right? And Jesus didn't just cry a little like, oh, and wipe a tear away. Hebrews 5, 7, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Luke twenty two forty four. and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. I've been sad before. I've never sweated blood. This is a deep sadness that Jesus had, Right? It's not just that a Christian can be sad just a little bit and they have to, like, get it back together, right? If Jesus can weep deeply, if Jesus can be deeply grieved, you as a Christian can be grieved too, right? 
you're allowed to be sad. That is an okay thing. As Christians, we tend to perpetuate this false narrative, and it drives me nuts, um, mostly because it's affected my wife. But, like, this is just something that drives me nuts with everybody. Like, we perpetuate this false narrative that if we have hope in Jesus, we have to be happy. Like, it even bums me out when I go to a funeral for a Christian, and people are like, oh, we're, we have hope, and he's in a better place, and, like, he's safe. Like, yeah, I agree, and we should be happy. Like, it's, it's a good thing knowing that that person was saved when they go. But, guys, I have close friends that if they just moved away, I would be sad, right? I have people I love that if they just moved away, I would be sad. You're allowed to be sad if someone dies. We don't have to just like perfectly tie our hope in Christ to always being happy. Yes, being a Christian gives you hope. Yes, knowing that you are saved eternally gives a great deal of joy. But we live, like my brother Gary said, in a broken and sinful world. Sin abounds. This side of heaven, sadness will abound as well. It's a world that promises but that doesn't deliver, that hurts us, and does everything it can to distract us from our heavenly hope, right? The more we pretend that only unbelievers can be sad, the more we make those that are truly grieving live their sorrow alone. But depression is a step past just being sad, right? But I wanted to address being sad. Like, before we can talk about a deep grief and a, a long grief that brings all those things that we talked about before, we need to address just sadness in general. So moving on from sadness, um, is the hopelessness of depression the same as losing your eternal hope? Remember, there's something more than just being sad for a moment that depression entails. If I lose that hope in the moment, if I lose that hope in my depression, is it the same as losing my eternal hope? I think you guys know my answer, but I'm going to throw a curveball. It can be. It absolutely can be. The ultimate cause of all non-physical depression is unbelief. And I say that flippantly, and I don't mean it flippantly. It's our unbelief in the promises of God. But before we despair about that, like, let's think of different passages, right? I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. If you had the faith of a mustard seed, you could move that mountain. Like, Yes, it's rooted in unbelief, but like I said, we live in a broken and sinful world. If we truly understood and believed the redemptive story, its eternal consequences, there would be no place for depression in us. But we live in a broken and sinful world that's constantly trying to get us sidetracked from that, right? Make no mistake, the hopelessness of depression can cause you to spiral further down into questioning your faith, questioning God's promises, and questioning your eternal hope. Not going to get into the whole, like, once saved, always saved. That's a thing. You're not going to actually, if you're a Christian, you're not actually going to lose your salvation due to it, but you can have a wrecked time here on earth, right? Amen? Maybe some of you guys agree. All right. So it can be. Depression can, the hopelessness of depression can lead to the hopelessness of losing your eternal hope. But it doesn't have to be, right? Mark 15, 34, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice. I don't know how to pronounce this. Eloi? Drew, what are we doing? Eloi? Eloi? You're in seminary. Eloi? 
Eloi, Eloi, le- oh man, I'm not even try. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I can't speak that. Christ's despair on the cross was the despair of having no hope. Let that sink in. Christ on the cross, when he said, why, oh God, have you forsaken me? It was the despair of hopelessness. Was it the despair of hopelessness? Like, was he hopeless in that he thought that God's promises weren't eternal? No. Was it the hopelessness that he forgot who God is, his Father is? No. It was the hopelessness of realizing what had to happen, the punishment he had to face, and that there was no other way for it to be accomplished. He had to be punished and die on the cross. There's a hopelessness, but it is not a hopelessness that leads to a hopelessness in faith, right? Just because someone is feeling stuck in their job or their marriage, debt, some medical condition, it doesn't mean they somehow lost sight of the atoning work of the cross, right? Can we agree with that? You can be really bummed out about your job and not be like, well, I guess I'm not a Christian anymore because my job sucks. I mean, if that was true, like, my faith is all over the place. Like, I've had some really terrible jobs. <laughs> Many people will deal with their depression over these types of situations quietly, but still pursue Christ. These are the people you might not actually know about. They're dealing with deep situations. They're hurt. They're in pain. They've had stuff they've carried for a long time but they love coming to church because it's the one place they still feel happy again. It's the one place where they can be reminded consistently of that hope they have, they can endure. Just because you have a hopelessness that's in this depression doesn't mean you've lost your eternal hope, right? Even Job had deep despair, but still clung, clung, hung close to God. Job 2, 9 through 10. Then, when his wife said to him, uh, then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Job was in deep sorrow, right? Can we all admit Job's been through a few more things than we have? He was depressed, I would argue. But when his wife was like, hey, this is easy. Just curse God and die. Like, be done with this. He was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Why would I do that? He had a hopelessness of his current situation, but it didn't permeate into his eternal faith. And sometimes this despair and depression might be a sanctifying experience. God might be using this to draw you closer to him. The classic one we think of this, 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. So, and this is Paul speaking. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me be from, being, uh, from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God might be using this, and it's sad to say this, but God might be using this circumstance, whatever's causing this depression, this grief in you, to draw you closer to him. 
Some of the biggest testimonies come from grief, do they not? So pray for Pastor Kevin and Pastor Drew because I'm the thorn in the flesh for those guys. <laughs> I'm kidding. A little bit. So if depression itself isn't inherently sinful, when does it become a sin? I just argued that depression itself, we see it in the Bible, it's not inherently sinful. Just because you're depressed doesn't mean you're in sin. But when does depression become sin? We see it in two main ways, right? Um, we see it when, it was, when it's used as an excuse for bad behavior or sin, right? Like, I'm depressed and that's why I cussed at you or that's why I threw something or that's why I walked out or whatever. Like, just because you're depressed, just because you have these feelings doesn't give you an excuse to throw away the truths of the Bible, right? 2 Corinthians 7.10, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. A worldly depression will lead to sin. If you're in sin, your depression isn't an excuse for that. And it's also, um, when it drives us to be self-focused rather than heavenly focused, right? Like Judas was depressed. You guys remember the story of Judas? He sold out Jesus to be killed. And he got so depressed that he killed himself. Judas could have repented, right? But his grief drove him to be self-focused, right? He wouldn't allow himself back. And then the third way we see, so, you know, first, when it's an excuse for bad behavior, sin. Two, when it drives us towards being self-focused. And three, when we use sin to cope with it. So this is a little bit different than the first one. Like, the first one is you're using it as an excuse to sin. But this one is more like, um, you know, I'm super sad. I'm depressed for a good reason. And so I'm going to start doing drugs or alcohol or engage in some kind of sinful behavior, right? Your depression isn't an excuse for sin. Um, So we know when it becomes sin, is depression ever a good thing? What do you guys think? Depression ever a good thing? No? Yeah? I'd argue it can be. So when can it be? When it drives you towards repentance, right? I remember a time in my life when I was far from God. I had made a profession, but I wasn't really pursuing God. I would say I'm a pretty, I was a pretty fake Christian. I had showed up to church and then stopped showing up to church. If someone asked me, I'd say I was a Christian, but I wasn't living that life. And it took me getting bummed out getting depressed. I keep mixing being bummed out and being depressed. I don't want you guys confused that I think those are the same thing. It's just how I talk, so my apologies. Um, But it took me getting depressed over a period of time for me to realize, like, of course you're depressed. Like, look at the life you're leading. You're back into the thing that you swore you'd never do. You're back into that lifestyle. You've ran away from God. Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Broken over sin. This is the heart that was stubborn against God, but ultimately turns back and repents. So when it drives us toward repentance, but also when it drives an unbeliever towards salvation. If you are an unbeliever, I want you to be depressed. 
Sorry, it sucks. <laughs> I want you to be grieved. I want you to be sad. And I want you to realize that that sadness and grief and pain and turmoil is a temporary picture of your permanent situation before God. I want it to drive you towards a new joy. I want it to drive you towards the realization that you cannot do it on, the, on your own. St. Augustine in his confession said, Our heart is always one until we find ourselves in thee. So, I am not advocating that you go out and get depressed on purpose. I'm just saying depression can lead to good things like repentance or an unbeliever's salvation. So we know that depression isn't inherently sinful. We know that it can be sinful when it drives us away towards God or towards sin. And we know that it can also, in times, drive us closer to God. So what do we do about depression? I can't just describe this big old bummer of a topic and then just be like, all right, guys, have fun. Hope your week's good, right? What do we do about depression? Well, first off, it's always better to treat something before it happens, right? Like any doctor will tell you, like preventative is always better than treating. First, fill your head with truth beforehand if possible. Like I say if possible because if you're depressed, it's still okay to fill your head with truth. I'm just saying if you can put the work in early, reading your Bible is probably a good thing, right? Philippians 4.8 Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The truth being talked about in these two passages is the Bible, Right? If you need God's truth speaking into your life and you want that to be there for the times when life hits you hardest, you need to read it beforehand and during. But like fill your head with true things. But Joe, I was talking with someone before church about this very example. But Joe, there's this really good book that my friend gave me. It's this really smart person who studied blah, 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 blah. I don't care. Smart things from smart people are not truth. The Bible is truth. You will learn wisdom. There might be partial truths in that, but there is only one thing that is true, and that is the Word of God. Amen? Uh, do you guys know who Chuck Smith is? Calvary Chapel, guy who started Calvary Chapel and all that kind of stuff? Chuck Smith died years ago. I believe it was a lung cancer. And um, before he passed away, uh, Greg Laurie, which is one of his friends, uh, did the whole Calvary movement with him. I uh, was interviewing him, and something he said during that interview always stuck out to me. Um, Greg's like, man, you're going through this situation. You're dying. Like, everybody knows you're dying. But you're still happy. I don't understand that. And I'm not saying you have to be happy if you're dying. We've already covered that, right? But he's like, how, how is this possible? And the thing that Chuck Smith said always stuck with me. He said, I don't know what the future is going to hold for me. I don't know what's going to happen in this situation medically. I know what the doctor said, but I don't know for sure all the little details. But I, knew, I do know that God hasn't forgotten me or forsaken me. I know where I'm going when I die. I know I have been forgiven by a great Savior. This is a tough time, but I'm not going to start trading the things that I absolutely know for the things that I don't know. And that always stuck with me. We need to rest in truth. We need to hold it close to our heart. Speaking of your heart, preventatively, 
You need to guard your heart. Remember, your feelings will betray you. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Proverbs 4, 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. This isn't, I guard my heart by occasionally thinking about it. This isn't, I guard my heart by saying affirmative things to myself. There's a vigilance to it. This is a night for his king, the secret service for a president. You can't guard it if you don't have a plan and a purpose. Guard your heart. How do we guard our heart? A big thing we all need to check in our lives is who are the people we surround ourselves with? I am not saying you can only be around nice people. If that was the case, how would we minister? How would we help people? How would we evangelize, right? But I would argue that there's probably a handful of us please don't raise your hand, that have a few people in our life that are the constant negative people dragging you down, that are constantly gossiping, that are constantly trying to turn that little screw on you that makes you angry, they're bringing up that thing that always gets you frustrated. Be careful. Guard your heart. Don't just let these people in if they're going to be negative. 1 Corinthians 15, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Be careful who you hang out with. Two, another way we guard our heart, and this is the big one right now, right? News and social media. Guys, tell me something in the last 20 to 30 years that was so important that you had to hear about it that day. I would argue, like, what? uh, September 11th, if you were in New York, I was in California. If I found out about it the next day, I'd be blown away but not a whole lot would have changed. We're in a time when the news is constantly preaching to us. It's constantly feeding into us. It's constantly trying to divide us. Stop letting it have a foothold in your life you should be charging rent for. I promise if you mess up, don't get all the facts and vote for the wrong person in whatever election, local, state, or federal, you might still be able to be a Christian. You don't need to follow the news. Social media, I work in tech. We do something called A-B testing. Everybody in tech does it. You have two ideas. You present one idea to some people and you present the other idea to another person. It's called A-B testing. See which one wins, which one has bigger engagement. I promise the social media, the Facebook, the Instagram, the Snapchat, the Twitter, all that kind of stuff is trying to see what they can do to make you do this more. They don't care if it's making you mad. If we paid attention to our Bible as much as we pay attention to our news and social media, our heart would be better guarded, no? So we we fill our head with truth, we guard our heart. This one's the one that's really hard because it takes time. I mean, they all take time. Um, You need to be involved in community. You need to be around people. You need to hang out with friends. You need to be part of your church. You need to go to events. Not because the church needs numbers. You need to do this because if something goes wrong and you're depressed and you're in that hole of despair, you're probably not going to be good at reaching out, right? You need people to notice that something's wrong that so-and-so isn't being themselves, and I need to ask some 
prodding questions. Nehemiah 2.2, and the king said to me, me being Nehemiah, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. The king only noticed that his cupbearer was depressed over the state of Israel because he was always around him. Israel's walls would not have been rebuilt if it wasn't for the fact that Nehemiah was always around the king, and the king noticed he was sad. You need to be around other people. We need to be there for each other. Ecclesiastes 4.10, If they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Would you be there for a grieving brother or sister? If I asked you guys to raise your hands, everybody would be like, oh yeah, if somebody's going through a rough time, totally, right? Like, we're not jerks. But here's the thing. If you're not there for somebody in the small things, if they haven't had the casual conversations with you, you can say that all you want, but they don't know what that means. They don't know if you'll really be there for them. They don't know if you're going to gossip about them behind their back. We need to be part of community so that the people around us can trust us and open up when they need it, right? And as a depressed person, if you're going through this and you're not part of community, you'll slip out the back and nobody will notice, right? You need to be around people. We are not meant to do this alone. And we have great opportunities for this, right? Like we have our Wednesday events like children's and uh, youth. We have um, the Wednesday night home gatherings. Guys, that's a perfect example. Like be around other Christians from this church. Get to do life. Get to have food. Get to have like a fun time. Talk about stuff. Like if you're stumped for what to say, like ask them about their job or ask them about their home or ask them about their kids, right? That tends to cover a lot of things. Ask them about their hobbies. Our Wednesday night groups are perfect for this. Get involved in community. So we have this preventative. You also need to remember some general truths in dealing with depression. God hasn't forgotten you or forsaken you. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushing spirit. Um, you need to remember this world can never take away your salvation, John 6, 39. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. You need to remember that no matter what you've done, you can always be redeemed, can't you? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all right unrighteousness. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are a believer, this depression isn't you being punished. Our punishment was taken care of on the cross. Amen? All your sins are forgiven. No matter what you've done, you can be redeemed. Your feelings will betray you. Don't trust them and seek help. We have ministry leaders. We have transitional leadership team. We have Pastor Kevin. We have Pastor Drew. And we have a whole bunch of really cool people. Ask for help. Like when my wife and I are struggling with different things, like whenever we have an issue that we're dealing with, whether it's sadness or anger or depression, we even do this kind of thing we call word vomit, which sounds gross, right? But the idea is, in my despair right now, I can't form the right thoughts that can have you help me. And I just need to express myself right now. Not express like, please, you have to hear every little thing I say. I'm just saying like, I'm just going to start vomiting words. And I just need you to be there for me. And that's a good thing, right? 
Let people be there for you. What if someone else is struggling? Ask questions. It's okay to ask questions. Realize that usually like what they say isn't always going to be the root cause. Proverbs 25, the purpose in man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. You're going to have to poke and prod and ask questions. Um, realize the whole like, well, just get over it or uh, you should just do blah, 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 blah is not helpful. Some of you guys probably know this. A lot of you don't. Proverbs 25, 20, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar or soda, a vinegar on soda. Realize that life will be experienced differently by everybody. What's sad for me might not be sad for you or vice versa. And just recognize how vulnerable someone is. If they're coming to you with this, be patient, be kind, assume the best, try and care for them, right? Um, I am long over time, aren't I? Am I? I apologize, guys. I'll, I'll skip ahead a little bit. Um, if your sin's rooted in unmet desires, you need to address that, right? What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not sin? Uh, is it not this, that your passions are war within you? If you have worldly desires that are causing depression, you need to give up on those, right? Can we agree to that? If your depression is due to physical neglect... What do I mean by that? There's times in your life where you will be depressed when everything seems to be going wrong. And then you realized, I've been in quarantine for a month. I haven't seen the sun in a month. I've been eating Hot Pockets and Snickers the whole time. I don't sleep. Like, yes, depression might be triggered by sin. It might be triggered by a deep grief or loss. It also might be treated by the fact that you've been eating garbage food, you haven't seen sunlight, and you're staying up all night watching depressing movies, right? Like, they literally have people sit in front of UV lights in the, like, northern climates because they're not getting enough vitamin D and it causes all sorts of problems, right? Like, there's actual physical things that you might be doing that are causing this to yourself. So, go for a walk, get some fresh air, eat good. I'm not saying that's the... Uh, fix for all depression, remember the first warning? But I'm just saying, like, care for yourself. If you're in sin, you need to repent. Um, if you aren't saved, good, right? If you are not saved, you should be depressed. Why? Because this is the temporary picture of your permanent situation before a just and holy God, right? If you are outside of Christ, you are without hope. This is as good as it gets. But it doesn't have to be that way, does it? You are not alone. You are not some unforgivably bad person. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. But just because we've all fallen short doesn't mean we can just let it be, right? We have to address the sin. We have to see that the sin separates us from God. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear, Isaiah 59, 2. And we have to understand that our sin's a weighty matter. For the wages of sin is? Romans 6, 23. Uh, yeah, Romans 6, 23. But the free gift of God is eternal life. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You don't have to be depressed if you're an unbeliever. You can have an eternal hope. Amen?